gosh okay I'm recording hello um yikes this is going to be super cringe for the first few episodes um or for however long it takes for my podcast to actually maybe have some level of success whatever that may be but um I'm not expecting much but um (laughs) All I hope is that I can become more comfortable talking um, and hearing myself talk and hopefully it'll be less cringe for whoever is listening. Um, But (laughs) this feels so weird, but welcome to my first episode of my podcast, another white girl podcast talking about true crime. Um, I was literally trying to think of a title and (laughs) my partner was like, she made a comment about like how there are so many white girls with true crime podcasts and I was like oh my god um I think she literally said the title and I was like okay I'm making that my title um so thanks Eilish for my title (laughs) um yeah that like she literally solved half my problems uh so that's amazing but yeah um my name is Laura and Um, I turned 22 last Thursday, so a week ago, exactly. Um, and look, I'm going to say this will, I will try and keep most of this unedited. So number one, because I'm, I'm super bad with motivation and I will not want to edit this I will just want to upload it um so I will try and keep this as unedited as possible but also just I don't know so then there's like a constant stream of me talking and not like weird cuts or whatever um so I guess I'll just well for the first episode I guess I'll just start off with a bit of an introduction about like myself and like what exactly this podcast is going to be and then we'll get into like the first case oh my god this is crazy um but yeah so my name is Laura and um yes I'm 22 living in Melbourne um I am a first year psychology student um which is so much fun. No, I'm kidding. It actually is. It's it's good, but like uni is stressful. So, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I'm studying um, psychology and um, I've always loved psychology, always loved true crime. Um, I can remember watching true crime shows as young as like eight and my parents were very concerned um and I was like guys don't worry like it's just interesting um and it still is it's just so interesting to me and um that's probably a part of what got me motivated in psychology um I won't as a career I won't be focusing on forensic psychology I'll more be focusing on like um like clinical psychology and stuff like that but um like definitely it's so interesting to you know research and like watch documentaries about and all that stuff and um yeah I don't know ever since podcasts became a thing 
uh, I've always kind of wanted to have my own, um, my own true crime podcast. Um, my favourite murder especially inspired me, because <laughs> um, Georgia and Karen are just so fucking cool and so funny, and they make they make the subject like like they're both comedians but and they respect the subject matter obviously but you don't feel like super depressed when you come away from it because they're even though they're respectful and obviously very sensitive to the subject matter they're very light-hearted and you know like it's just it's a really good time and I was like oh my gosh I I want to do that one day so this is like kind of me maybe just yeah taking this up as a hobby and um just seeing where it goes and I don't really as I said I don't really have any expectations about like anything it's just something I it's just two things I love psychology and true crime and um yeah so I just I just want to I just want to tell you guys about crimes like and just deep dive into it And so I thought like something that could make this a little bit different from other true crime podcasts is like each episode um, I pick like a crime that happened like on this day sort of thing. Um, So like on this day this happened or whatever. So I think that will be really cool. And then at the end of each episode um, I will finish off with um, a good news story just to like you know because we're going to be talking about some really you know sensitive stuff some stuff that could be possibly triggering trigger warning right now I'm going to put that out there Um, so and you know I will always do my best to be as sensitive and as respectful to the subject matter and to you know the stories I'm going to tell and everything so um but yeah I think it's it's a nice way to end you know an episode after listening to stuff that can be quite um you know heavy so um yeah each time it's going to be like a different good news story um so yeah I think that'll be really cool so then you guys aren't like walking away from this and being like because oh. <laughs> even even I'll admit sometimes like depending on the story sometimes like I'll walk away from like a documentary or something and I'll be like oh my god like that was hectic um especially my partner like I've kind of gotten her into true crime and since we've been together and uh whenever we watch it like after afterwards she'll be like she'll be like oh my god I need to like detox from life for a bit because that was really really dark um so yeah um I think that's enough about me you know the basics um so shall we get on to it really? I don't know. Um, okay, well I've written up a little I've written up like a little script and everything of what I want to say. Well, I guess I'll introduce today's um, today's case. So I actually um, I actually found a really good case for yesterday. 
uh, October 7. So I'm recording this on October 8 and um, I was doing all the research for this episode yesterday and um, as of uh, yesterday, October 7, 1998, um, was the Matthew Shepard case. Um, it's quite well known amongst like the LGBT community. I'm not sure if um, if like people outside the community know a lot about the case. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not sure. Um, but I thought it'd be a really good one to start off with. So um, on yesterday, um, I think it's like yeah, 22 years ago. So I was. I was like seven days old when this happened. I was like an infant. Um, yeah, so I thought this would be a good one to start off with. Um, and I think we'll start off with by just giving a background over like who Matthew Shepard was um, because I think uh, it's you know, I think it's, I love hearing about the victim and like who they were and, you know, just like, yeah, anyway. So, um, Matthew Wayne Shepherd was born on December 1st, 1976, um, in Wyoming to his parents, Dennis and Judy Shepherd. Uh, he, his, he had a younger brother named Logan who was born soon after in 1981 um, they say as a child he was very friendly with all of his classmates, um, but he was targeted, uh, like, and bullied, uh, due to his small, like, stature and, um, it sounds like he wasn't, you know, super athletic, which is bullshit, like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so silly, like, it's just silly things that like kids choose to bully other kids about like it doesn't fucking matter if one person is athletic and one person isn't like that doesn't mean the other person is better in any way anyway <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna try and not go off on too many tangents but anyway let's go um it says he developed an interest in politics at an early age uh later in 1994 uh, him and his family moved to Saudi Arabia for his father's job where he attended the American school in Switzerland. Uh, so I think that I think that must be like a school that specifically follows like the American like curriculum. Yeah, that's the right word. Uh, he graduated from there in 1995 and went on to study a political science major at the University of Wyoming in Laramie, I think that's how it's pronounced. Uh, I think that's like a town in Wyoming, yeah, uh, with a minor in languages. Um, so that's like a bit of a brief rundown. Um, I, I also found that um, there was actually something that happened a few years before, like, he was murdered. Um, just before he graduated in 1995, he was on a school trip to Morocco, uh, where he was actually, um, sexually assaulted and beaten, um, which is fucking disgusting and horrible, like, how? 
Um, I'm not, it didn't say if it was by other students or like, it didn't say who the perpetrator was. Um, so, you know, we don't know. Um, but because of that event, um, he ended up experiencing depression and panic attacks. And there was also, um, like a friend of his in college who said that, um, they suspected he was also... Uh, possibly abusing drugs but like that might that's purely I don't think there was much proof of that um but yeah because of his depression and his panic attacks and obviously like the trauma he went through um he ended up being hospital hospitalized several times for like suicidal thoughts and you know depression and everything which is that's never fun it's horrible um so yeah so it obviously already before before he was murdered which we'll get into like he already um had experienced like it sounded like his fair share of like homophobia and you know just like hate crime and you know obviously was experiencing like pretty severe mental illness because of that which is like totally understandable um it doesn't I think apart from him being hospitalized I don't it didn't say if he was getting help for it or anything um but going forward to the night of October 7 1998 some sources say October 6 or October 7 uh but most said October 7 so I'll just go with that Um, He was approached in a bar by two men named Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson um, in Laramie. And uh, at the time, Matthew was 21 and I think the two men were in their early 20s. Um, Apparently, uh, well, no, what happened was that um, they offered to give him a ride home and um, apparently... They, um, like, uh, how do you say, like, they pretended to be gay or whatever to, I guess, seduce him into the car or, like, yeah, like, give him a ride home. Um, and they said they had, they only had the objective to, like, rob him and then that was it. Um, but instead what happened was that they robbed him in the car and then, um, like started beating him in the car and then instead of just like dropping him off somewhere and um, you know leaving him be or whatever and then just driving off with like his wallet and everything uh, they actually ended up driving to a really remote area just outside of the town uh, where they proceeded to rob him further pistol whip him with um a really large pistol and uh torture him um while tying him to like a barbed wire fence uh so that's like crazy crazy hectic um (laughs) sorry that's probably not the right (laughs) word it's just like it's kind of leaves you at a loss of words like how how can someone how can someone like you know, pretty much seduce someone into a car, robbing them is bad enough, but then to proceed to, like, beat them 
and leave them for dead. Like, I just, I don't understand how. Um, obviously, it, they, there was like, there was an ulterior motive. Um, the fact that he was gay was, I think, it stands out pretty clearly that they didn't just want to rob him, they also wanted to beat the shit out of him for being gay, which is fucked up. Um, myself, as a as a gay person, I like living in 2020. I can't I can't imagine that happening, especially like the city I live in, Melbourne. It's like very um, uh, very diverse, very um, accepting, you know, all that stuff. And it's just crazy that literally 22 years ago, like the year I was born like this shit was still happening it's yeah so um (laughs) anyway the um the two guys after beating him up and leaving him there um drove back into town and um they actually they actually got into a fight with um two two young guys of I think Hispanic descent um and I think a few of them like I think who was it it was uh Aaron Aaron McKinney got injured in that and then the guy he was fighting got injured also um but like not too bad um and the police officer who got called to the scene of the crime uh arrested Russell Henderson who was one of the um one of the two guys to um, do this to Matthew, um, arrested him, searched Aaron's car, and they found he found the gun um, that they had used to pistol whip Matthew, as well as his shoes and his credit card. So obviously a lot of evidence um, directly tying them to him. Um, but this was literally like 15 minutes after they had beaten Matthew and left left him there. So um, they like found, yeah, like 15 minutes after they got into this fight with these other two men, the police came, they found this evidence and then Matthew actually didn't end up being found until 18 hours later um, by a bike rider who actually thought he was a scarecrow because he was just slumped at the base of the fence um he was apparently you know in a really really bad way like incredibly injured um apparently like reports were saying that he was covered in blood except for two streaks on his face from where like tears were which is devastating and just like a really I don't know that that little note just like really hit me um hit a nerve I guess it's just horrible um but yeah so while while this was all going on um I think after they had like been arrested and everything um, for the second fight, um, uh, the two men called both their girlfriends, like, um, asking them to provide alibis for them and help them dispose of the evidence, um, but it was, it was too late by that point, um, 
their girlfriends actually ended up testifying later that neither of them were under any influence of any substances or anything. So they were completely sober. They knew what they were doing the whole time. They were just like on an absolute, I don't know, just high, like from just a natural high from like committing crimes, I think. Horrible. Um, so once Matthew had been found, uh, sorry, I'm just reading my notes here. Um, Oh yeah, the first police officer who found, like, to arrive on the scene, um, she actually ran out of gloves when she was trying to clear his airway, so she she decided to use her bare hands, um, and then, like, the next day uh, she was informed that uh, Matthew was actually HIV positive, um, and she could have been exposed, like, to the virus because... Uh, I think she had like a small cut on her hand or anything Um, but she ended up testing negative so that was all good but his family didn't know either and they found out when like he was in hospital that he was HIV positive which I think back then it just would have still had such a stigma around it I think it's still HIV and like AIDS and everything it still has such a big stigma I think even worse back then but Um, yeah, we'll get back into that later. Um, but yeah, so Shepard was taken to, um, Ivinson Memorial Hospital in the Ramey before being moved to, um, an advanced trauma ward at a different hospital in Colorado. Uh, he ended up suffering fractures to the back of his head and in front of his right ear. He experienced severe brainstem damage, which which affected his body's ability to regulate his heart rate, his body temperature, and his other vital functions. I'm sorry, by the way, if you can hear barking. It's my housemate's dog. He's a little sausage dog, and he thinks he's um, he thinks he's the bodyguard of the house. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there were also other, like, lacerations on his head and his face. Um, so it was really his head that, um, was, like, the only injury. Um, like, the rest of his body was okay, but, um, they, they deemed the head injuries actually too severe to operate, so he never regained consciousness and remained on full life support, um, and uh, he was pronounced dead six days after the attack on October 12, 1998. Um, so, yeah, they, they killed him pretty much, um, which is just, <laughs> again, like I'm, this case really just leaves me at a loss for words because I think, yeah, it hits like, it like it has a bit of a personal element because like you know this was someone who was also in the LGBT community and was literally doing nothing wrong and just like living their lives and just trying to be happy and for no reason he got targeted like twice in his life and ended up dying and it's just yeah I just I can't fathom I can't fathom 
why and you know I don't think you can um so yeah um once uh once they were well they were they were initially charged charged with attempted murder kidnapping and aggravated robbery but once um he passed away uh the charges were upgraded to first degree murder which meant that both Aaron and Russell were um, eligible for the death penalty. Um, their girlfriends, Kristen Price and Chastity Pasley, I think that's her name, were charged with uh, being accessories to first degree murder. Um, so that's the case. Um, and I think now, well, yeah, I definitely want to talk about the trial and um, everything that happened there. Um, and we're going to talk about the defense that was used. Um, and also usually I would, I would break down, um, the, um, perpetrators like personality profile and maybe like talk about if they w could have been experiencing mental health issues. But with this case, because it's a hate crime, I feel like if I were to do that, it would kind of be giving them excuse an excuse for their homophobia, if that makes sense. So I'm not going to do that in this episode um, because I think there's a big difference between like a regular murder and a hate crime, if that makes sense. So yeah, I'm not going to be focusing on like what personalities they had or whatever could have led them to do this. I think what led them to do this was purely just homophobia and that's that. Um, so yeah, we're going to get into the, uh, the trial. So uh, Aaron's trial uh, was in 1990, oh no, the pre-trial, sorry, was in 1998 um, and so the pre-trial was in 1998 and Sergeant Rob Debris, who, um, was one of the main, uh, detectives on the case testified that Aaron McKinney had stated in an interview on October 9 that he and Henderson had identified Matthew as a robbery target and pretended to be gay to lure him out to the truck and that McKinney had attacked Matthew after he put his hand on McKinney's knee. So there was this whole... Um, apparently Aaron McKinney said, like, that Matthew, you know, while they were in the truck, like, put his hand on his knee or whatever, which... Uh, Russell Henderson said he never saw um, so I think that's purely just trying to yeah put some blame onto Matthew which is you know victim blaming is never cool <laughs> obviously um, Kristen Price Aaron's girlfriend um, said that the violence against Matthew was triggered by quote how he felt about the gays um and I actually watched quite a few, I watched a few, um, like, of the interrogation videos and frequently Aaron McKinney would refer to gay people as gays, queers, like, you know, that F word, 
um, FAGs. Uh, yeah, so just like really derogatory. Um, he'd say, you know, I've got nothing against the gays, but you know, if they make a move on me, then you know, so just yeah, incredibly homophobic, just an absolute. He he didn't even try to hide it. Like he just had such a hatred. Um, so in December 1998, uh, Chastity, Chastity Pasley, um, Russell's girlfriend pleaded guilty to being an accessory, uh, and in April 1999, uh, Russell Henderson avoided going to trial when he pleaded guilty to his charges. Um, in order to avoid the death penalty, he agreed to testify against um, against Aaron McKinney. Uh, so at Henderson's sentencing, sentencing, sorry, his his lawyer argued that Matthew had not been targeted because he was gay. Um, which is bullshit. <laughs> um, so now we're going to get into um, what McKinney's lawyer, what the defence was that he used, which is so fucked up. <laughs> I can't even, I can't even talk about. Like it's just so fucked up. Um, so McKinney's lawyer attempted to put forward a gay panic defence arguing that McKinney was driven to temporary insanity by alleged sexual advances from Matthew. Like, let me, let, let that just sink in for a second. Like, temporary insanity. Are you kidding? Um, obviously the, the defense was rejected because it's just utter bullshit. Um, and... Yeah, McKinney's lawyer went on to say that like they wanted to rob him, but they never intended to kill him, and it wasn't it wasn't because of his sexuality at all. Um, and the prosecutor actually ended up saying the same thing, kind of saying that it wasn't about Matthew's sexuality, but rather like that it was driven by like greed and violence. Which I guess yeah, to a point, but like still at the end of the day, at the end of the day. It is a hate crime against someone's against someone because of their sexual sexual orientation, against you know the way he presented or dressed or whatever. It's you know fucked up. Um, so the jury found McKinney not guilty of premeditated murder, but guilty of felony murder, and began to deliberate on the death penalty. Uh, Shepard's parents brokered a deal that resulted in McKinney receiving two consecutive life terms without the possibility of parole um, same as Henderson he received the same one uh, so they were both incarcerated in the Wyoming State Penitentiary and um, Kristen Price pleaded guilty to a reduced charge of misdemeanor interference with a police officer um, so yeah, they were, they all ended up being charged and, um, the two men were definitely incarcerated. Uh, I'm not sure if, uh, their girlfriends ended up being incarcerated, probably, I assume. Um, so that's the trial done with. Um, I just wanted to talk 
a bit more about the gay panic defense before I go on about like the aftermath of um what what actually like what actually happened and like the the world response and everything that happened uh so yeah as I said before the gay panic defense is a legal strategy in which a defendant claims they acted in a state of violent temporary insanity committing assault or murder because of unwanted same-sex sexual advances um, a defendant may allege to have found the same-sex sexual advances so offensive or frightening that they were provoked into reacting, were acting in self-defense, or were of diminished capacity, or were temporarily insane. Wow, that is... I You can tell I copied and pasted that. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you get that. Like, so essentially... well. Yeah, what it is, is like someone saying, wow, um, that person hit on me and because they are the same sex as me, that is so offensive that I am going to assault you out of me being like getting triggered by it, you know, basically. Um, and unsurprisingly, there is now a trans panic defense, which is basically the same same concept except for um you know uh trans people which is again just fucking disgusting and disturbing that this is actually a um legitimate legal defense in the world still um i checked it up about australia to see um what the current situation is um it turns out that, well, as it's known here, the homosexual advanced defense, which I think is, oh my gosh, um, it's actually not found anywhere in legislation, but um, it gets its power from case law. So obviously people have used that defense in other cases and that's what gives it like the legitimacy to continue to be used, which is... I. I feel like that's kind of more fucked because it's not even written anywhere like giving it power it's just that someone made it up and like everyone's just been like oh yeah I guess we can use it like you know it's yeah um luckily though Tasmania Victoria and Western Australia uh all abolished it in the mid-2000s with Queensland doing so in 2017 and South Australia still to repeal it, um, but they announced that they will be repealing it this year. Um, and I couldn't find exactly how the other states and territories went about abolishing it, but um, it sounds like they did in some form or another. Um, but yeah, that's crazy that like, I mean, it was still a thing in Queensland until like three years ago. How? Uh, and South Australia is like in the midst of uh, repealing it and abolishing it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so it looks like it's out of... It's not being used in Australian... In the Australian justice, justice system anymore. Um, but... I think definitely it's probably still in use in other countries of the world, which is, yeah, really disturbing that someone's sexuality can be used as 
a tool to get them incarcerated or you know like how like I don't know if that makes sense but like I just gay panic defense it's just like the only gay panic I know of is like when I see a pretty girl and like I'm like oh god words um gay panic you know (laughs) like that's the only gay panic I know of but like my god there's a gay panic defense wow okay um well yeah there you go so that's a bit more about the defense that was used and um I know I said obviously it was rejected before I shouldn't have said that because I think there probably have been cases where it has been accepted um unfortunately but uh I'm very glad that in this case it was so clear to see that it was just pure homophobia and that like the judge just said nah like no this person did not target you at all. They were the target. They were the victim. So, yeah. Um, so what happened after? So at, very sadly, at his funeral, at Matthew's funeral, um, the good old Westboro Baptist Church, who I'm sure you have probably heard of or maybe seen in Louis Theroux's um, documentary um, because we all love a bit of we all love a bit of um, Louis Theroux Um, but yeah basically if you don't know what they are they're basically some kind of um, religious organization but like kind of not really religious more of like a cult um yeah there are a few ex-members who have actually said that it was yeah very much a cult and they have very strong ideas um about uh lgbt people and a lot of other things so basically what they did was they attended his funeral and picketed it with signs bearing homophobic slogans such as Matt in Hell and God Hates Fags. Um, so, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, imagining going to your funeral, like to your child's funeral or any relative who has been brutally, brutally, their life has been brutally ended way too soon, only to hear this absolute disgusting group of people chanting things outside of the church, shouting abuse at you with disgusting posters of like your relative and you know their name and God hates them and all that like stuff. Just just imagine like I can't even fathom how they've also been known to like picket like um you know uh, fallen soldiers funerals and just disgusting stuff honestly it's really really gross and they still do this like this was 22 years ago and they still picket funerals they still stand on the side of the road road with like god hates fags like signs and everything it's just it's so fucked up and I can't believe that there's no like legal power to take them down and silence them but you know I mean it's America right (laughs) um so 
In response, one of Matthew's friends actually organised a group that assembled in a circle around the protesters. They all wore white robes and gigantic wing- wings um, and they they basically, yeah, circled them and blocked, blocked them so that um, all of the mourners and obviously Matthew's family couldn't see them, which is, I think, that's such a beautiful sentiment and, yeah, I think, like, it's kind of, they were just trying to make the best out of what was going on which is horrible that they even had to do that um so yeah they they basically dressed up like angels and um yeah blocked them in uh but unfortunately um you could still obviously hear the abuse that they were shouting and um Matthew's parents could still hear them um the police intervened and created a human barrier between the two groups and um out of that situation a group called Angel Action was founded by um the person whose idea it was one of Matthew's friends so that's I think that's really beautiful and I think that's like I think like if you're gonna look for any tiny silver lining in this absolutely like tragic case and event um then I think that's you know that's one thing and um yeah and in the years following uh Judy Shepherd Matthew's mum uh became a really big advocate for LGBT rights uh especially rights relating to gay youth and um in December 1998 her and her husband created the Matthew Shepherd Foundation um and yeah I've heard I heard about them like a long time ago this case was really 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 um like uh impactful in the LGBT community and um yeah I've definitely seen them in media and everything um advocating for LGBT rights um so yeah that's really everything that I wanted to um cover in this case so yeah we covered like you know the actual case the background of Matthew um the trial we covered the gay panic defense and uh you know we covered um the aftermath of uh what's happened and um yeah so very happy to say that the two men are locked away for life um they will never see the light of day they should never see the light of day what they did was absolutely disgusting um and I just yeah I I don't have any words this case is just it's just it's kind of personal because like you know I think like what goes through my head is like oh my gosh like could that happen to me one day like if I'm just sitting at a bar like being myself and you know people target me just because of my sexuality like you know it's just it's a really disturbing thought that goes through your head and um yeah and I guess anything that's good to come out of this is the fact that it propelled LGBT rights to like the mainstream media 
um, which to my knowledge was something that hadn't really happened at that stage or there wasn't enough of um, until this happened and it just it's really sad that it took a tragedy for um, our community to be like really heard um, so but yeah so that was um, we recently yeah just passed the 22 22 um, year anniversary of that happening which was yesterday um, so yeah I guess that's the first episode done oh my gosh 45 minutes that's pretty good hey um, I was I was saying before that uh, it was going to be in two parts but it looks like the app has let me record oh it says maximum recording time is 60 minutes okay well that's perfect um okay cool well I think that's the first episode done um I don't think I have anything else to say I think well the next two weeks or so will be pretty busy for me with uni so if I don't get another episode out then, that will be why. Um, but if I do, then, like, awesome. Whoever's listening, you have another episode there. So, yeah, I will try my best, but obviously I'm going to prioritise uni and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so, yeah, I guess we'll tune in for next time. Um, where next time uh we'll actually you know analyze uh the perpetrator's personality um profile we'll analyze you know any potential mental health aspects it'll be really really cool so um yeah i hope you stay tuned for then and uh thanks for listening